And we are live. Are you there, Ryan? I am here. (laughs) I love it. We are live with myself, Ethan Strauss, and Ryan Glassbeagle of the New York Post, TV expert, and really uh, well-versed in so much more. I am excited. We have a full docket. And uh, let's say a tricky game. We we are about to we are about to embark on a tricky game, folks. If you're listening right now, because there is some big news in sports media today, big news, and I just might be a little bit compromised on the subject legally, not just morally, but legally. I may have signed certain documents that make it difficult for me to completely describe what happened today. I'll try my best within certain confines, but that is in part why we have Ryan here. Ryan, do you know what I'm talking about, and can you tell the good people? Um, I think you're talking about the news that I interviewed Juliana Pena last night. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, it was a very strange (laughs) non-disclosure that you guys made me file uh, upon learning about that. But at the New York Post, I guess no uh, no stone goes unturned. Uh, I have a... am, of course, referring to the New York Times uh, merger with The Athletic, my former employer, uh, for a tidy sum of $550 million, uh, which seems to be the big news. You, though, Ryan, and why I'm excited to have you, you have strong takes on this. You have I do. Opinions I have strong takes on a lot of things, and this is one of them. Um, yeah. Okay, so I want to begin with the caveat that I'd love to, my skepticism to be wrong and for this to go out along great because having a big employer is good for the industry and it's good to have our friends succeed. I think we both have a lot of friends and people that we admire from afar who work for The Athletic, but I'm also very skeptical that this fit is going to work. Now, why would that be? Um, It's for, like, a number of reasons. Uh, Number one, the Athletic um, spent twice as much in 2021 about as they brought in in revenue. They had, I think, um, $65 million in revenue and had a $55 million loss. So that means that they spent um, $120 million taking in 65, something around that. so I, I'm skeptical that the Times is going to absorb that and leave the entire staff intact in the long run. That's one. Number two, I don't think that the um, New York Times sports section is something that really appeals to sports fans. They've had the NFL in their crosshairs for about as long as I can remember just pretty consistently writing like negative stories about it. I looked at the Times Sports homepage today and the top story was like a story about Title IX and two of like the top seven stories, one of them was the saying that the NFL season is too long when it's the shortest season by far of any of the major sports. They added an extra week this year, but it's still dramatically shorter than anything else. And then number two, they had a story with N- with Eric Dickerson saying that the NFL is like a bad entity or something like that. And so mm. they, they're long. Um, I think that like if the people who ran the New York Times 
were like interested in owning a good sports property with their like endless resources, which are on display and spending $550 million for the athletic today, they would have built one themselves. At the Washington Post, I wrote about this six or seven years ago at the big lead. They have traditionally been run by like big sports fans, like the people who presided over like the Watergate stuff with Woodward and Bernstein, their bosses were like diehard at that point, Washington Redskins fans. And so Mm. they went and built a sports section that like Michael Wilbon, Tony Kornheiser, Rachel Nichols, David Remnick, um, David Aldridge, just legends, legends, legends in the sports media space came through. And you don't, you haven't seen that with the times. Um, So what, like they say they're not going to meddle and they're going to leave um, the athletic alone. But I'm old enough to remember when like AT&T bought Warner media and then they said that. And then about five minutes later, just started gutting HBO and TNT. And so I'll believe in 18 months, if there's been no bloodletting that the New York times is making good on its, I don't even know if I could call it a promise, but pledge to leave um, the athletic as like an independent tentacle. I don't want to get too digressive, but I found that HBO Warner media situation fascinating just because HBO was a dream operation. It was humming, but anybody in business, I suppose, on a big level has visions of, I need to 10x this. I need to get more with less. So there was a contentious fight, as I recall it, with after the merger, uh, what do we even call them, AT&T or whatever, <laughs> was basically saying, uh, hey, uh, can you make these huge hit shows like you do, the Game of Thrones, but like more of it, like more of it to compete with Netflix. And you know? spend less. <laughs> and spend less you know can you can you do that you know it, it was like that? the wire more with less people yes exactly and the thing with hbo is look this is a magical box where you will spend two billion dollars every year and you will get four billion dollars in profit every year it's not a bad thing to just get two billion dollars back every year that's quite a good thing but that's just not how these things go especially post-merger and I'm not going to say that they ruined HBO because there are some good shows, uh, but I don't think HBO is nearly what it was. Uh, even a show like Succession, I thought third season Succession was fantastic and a true triumph to pull that off in the pandemic era, is only watched by about 600,000 people. So uh, they've really fallen off since um, that merger, a steep decline. Uh, that That's not me saying anything. You know, uh, as far as The Athletic and The New York Times, it's just you reminded me of that fascinating situation <laughs> and how sometimes business interests can really fuck over art. So that it's was really if you spend a half a billion dollars on something and that something loses substantial amount of money that it's not, you know, The New York Times isn't like a charity. And so um, they, they now they say like they, they use the word like they said that. Um, adding advertising to the athletic is like a quote green space and uh you know the whole like kind of business proposition when the athletic launched was we're not going to invade your eyeballs with these like roving videos that distract you from the beauty of our words and so uh i'm interested to see how they pull off 
using advertising in the athletic without destroying the aesthetics, which are about as like big of a drawing power to the athletic as um, kind of like any part of the entity. Yeah, I, I guess the pushback to what you're saying is, yeah, that's a, that's a good argument that if the New York Times ever was going to do this, they would have done it already. But maybe this is the way they do it by uh, pawning it off on somebody else to figure out because they don't have the in- institutional know-how. And then I think the other pro-merger argument, perhaps the only kinds of arguments I'm legally allowed to make right now, um, are that uh, the New York Times has such an advantage in news. It's almost a monopoly. Uh, there's been a great consolidation that they've benefited from that betting against them is almost like betting against Amazon. Uh, it's just going to work in their favor because of their positionality. What, what would you say to that? I would say that that as, was as a New the York case, Post writer, uh, what would you say to that? Um, I'd say that was the case up to the 2020 election. I sent you a tweet about like how all of it was like an AP story about how kind of like all of the Trump resistance media has experienced like dramatic declines in 2021. I don't remember like the exact number for the New York Times, but something between like 30 to 40 less percent time was spent consuming it last year as the year before. So I don't know that um, they were, that they've like remained this um, Mm. impenetrable juggernaut that we could have said a year ago. Yeah, I think that's a fair point to make that their dominance has been undercut of late that when there's no big bad of Trump, people resistance, not as hard, subscribe, not as much. Uh, And yet I'm not sure off the top of my head, which publications other than the publication you write for um, are all that position to benefit, at least in the realm of newspapers. Uh, I, I will say I'm happy for uh, my colleagues and friends. Uh, I mean, I know nobody listening here gives a shit about any of that, but I just want to <laughs> want to say that just because there's a lot of pressure there uh, to get that, to pull that one off and, and to get it done. So uh, congratulations to Look, them. I'll, I'll say the athletic far surpassed my expectations for how long they would last, how big of a scale they amassed, how much influence in the sports conversation, which is something intangible, but also tangible that mm. they achieved. Um, it really, it started with John Greenberg in Chicago and just like mushroomed from there. And grew to be something that the so, so, some would say some would say the galvanizing force was the athletic bay area team you know some would say that uh some some might say that that's when it really really got elevated and amplified after its initial footholds in the midwest and uh I do have a lot of fondness for those days and I the, hey the I, bay area I, yeah. and corpus christi <laughs> I'm not sure if you're going to reference what you're referencing. No one, no one's going to get that reference. But Kevin Draper from the Times, who I don't think likes me very much anymore, uh, we used to be friends. But um, he he tweeted a thread about like kind of analyzing it from the Times' perspective. He 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 did, to his credit, um, express lots of skepticism as he has for the duration of the Athletics' existence. That this is something the Times can make work, but he did say. He has faith in the paper's leadership, but he was like, all right, the Times is a strong foothold in the Northeast and California. How do we get into Corpus Christi? And I was just like, how many <laughs> subscribers could they 
possibly have in Corpus Christi, but um, yeah, it's yeah. a little bit of an inside it, joke. I'll, I'll say this, and I've I've had lunch with Kevin Draper. I think Kevin Draper has some talent. I'm doing the Stephen A. Smith praise before the criticism. <laughs> it's the type of tweet he would ruthlessly mock if somebody else did it as a company man. I, I, I would say that about that particular about that particular tweet. Um, do you have any other athletic takes, or should we move on to the scuttlebutt involving the biggest stars in sports versus very, very low-profile media? Nope. We don't have any callers looking to interject in this, so let's talk oh, about... I got I to gotta goose the callers. Callers, callers. Uh, oh, we already have a caller. Yeah, raise your hand. You can raise your hand. You can ask a question. We might as well do this throughout. Why not? And Nick, Nick, on a not a landline... Uh, I will make the next caller. Nick, do you have a question? Nick, are you unmuted, sir? Hey, how's it going, guys? Um, Hi. Um, apologies if this is like a very ignorant question. Um, just something I'm trying to unpack about the deal. And as someone who subscribes to both The Athletic and The New York Times, I'm a little confused about what they're actually buying. Mm. Um, j- just like I it, – it doesn't – I'm a little confused about where the price tag came from. Uh, it, it, and- uh, you know, my former boss, Clay Travis, speculated. And when he does this, like, I, I understand that Clay's opinions um, rile a lot of people up. But when he weighs in on business matters, he often has a kernel of, like, legitimate inside information because there are a lot of people who are in, especially high up in the sports business and sports media business who um, are silent uh, supporters of his. He said that he believes that the $550 million reported sale price includes projected losses over several years. So that might mean that they um, bought it for like, I don't know, $400 million and, and not... 550 million in cash not that it's like such a major distinction but it gets like the actual amount of like cash outlay for the purchase a little bit lower does that make yeah. sense yeah no that like i i imagined like it, it's probably like similar to a lot of sports contracts like you have to look under the hood a little bit and i guess the follow-up to that is um something i am extremely ignorant on is a lot of like anything having to do with soccer and a lot of international sports. And I was wondering, is there any sort of an angle? Like, is there anything involved there that could be Ooh. helpful for the times? Uh, that's a that, good got, question. And I don't a, know the answer. I, I can say from my experience at the athletic that their foray into the EPL was enormously successful for them. And, uh, was this just trove of subscriptions and it, turned out that a lot of the sports writers in the UK covering soccer were quite underpaid. And as you were saying, that's a league with appeal far beyond the UK. So I'm not sure if that's part of their grand ambition here. Um, I'm not certain, but it, it would not surprise me were that the case, Nick. Uh, I should give the people listening uh, an auditory PTI scroll right now of things we're going to discuss. I believe we are going to discuss, thank you, Nick. I believe we are going to discuss uh, Aaron Rodgers and the MVP race with the media. Uh, we're going to discuss LeBron James going after uh, Wizards, a local Wizards announcer over what looks like a mistake uh, by the poor guy. And we are going to discuss where Rachel Nichols might 
wind up next because I guess her buyout was finalized. So these are the topics on the docket. Ryan, which one of these do you want to attack first? Um, let's do LeBron because I think you have like a, a NBA centric audience. Um, mm. Do you want to um, describe this, or do you want? Me it's to a difficult it? expository. I almost feel like I'm going to make the mistake the announcer did when uh, <laughs> discussing the the expository. Was it a Kevin Porter Jr. Uh, hit a game winning shot? And the Wizards announcer said something to the effect that he pulled the trigger just at the right time, like his father. Now, apparently, Kevin Porter Jr.'s father uh, had gone to jail. I think it was uh, pleading guilty to manslaughter uh, for a shooting that that killed a teenage girl. Um, And what, what appears to have happened in the apology by the announcer is that he thought that Kevin Porter was the son of a player named Kevin Porter who played for the bullets uh the name that preceded the wizards did i say that right before getting to the lebron part is that the correct expository i hope so you did um, you got you yes. got that um you got the facts of the matter oh, correct um, yeah. it's a very sensitive story to speak about extemporaneously yes, but yes. You, your Ooh. facts were accurate i'm dodging i'm dodging lawsuits left and right here people well lebron james uh reacted to that particular what appears to be a mistake um and quote tweeted saying oh he thought this was cool huh nah we ain't going for this sorry but this ain't going to fly how insensitive can you be to say something like this beat it man i pray pray for you but there's no place in our beautiful game for you um and goes after him i you know i have a few different thoughts on this Uh, one is look i just don't like this this pile on uh this pile on approach from anybody lebron james i guess does it i don't like it from anybody when there's an internet mob and everybody's jumping on i also additionally think that you can feel like you're popular when you're doing it and you can feel that way because a bunch of people are doing the same thing but the dirty secret is nobody likes that guy i can't think of anybody who does this regularly who is widely admired and liked. And um, beyond that, I guess there's a chance that this guy was doing that reference, but he would have to be some bizarre edgelord of an announcer. I mean, it's just not... And he'd have to have a death wish for his own career. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's not logical. It doesn't make sense. And so it, it just, I think is the continuation of the theme of LeBron getting more and more unlikable, not even in ways that are fun, not even in ways that uh, stir passions, like in 2010, 2011, after he went to the Heat. It's just this guy who is annoying on social media and impulsive and in his ads wants you to think that he's some sort of righteous revolutionary, but the way he expresses his revolutionary fervor is with impulsive tweets that occasionally undermine any sense that he even knows what he's talking about. So uh, I say it from the perspective, not of a reflexive LeBron hater. I say it from the perspective of somebody who wishes that he were a likable guy. I think it'd be good for the league. And generally I want people to be likable, but it's, it's just unlikable. I don't know what else to say about it beyond that. Um, I would say in the same sense that um, this Wizards announcer was um, mistakenly ignorant of um, the identity of Kevin Porter Jr.'s father. 
LeBron James was ignorant that there was a Kevin Porter who played in the NBA for 11 seasons between <laughs> 1973 could, could and this, 1983. Could, could this be the next LeBron James Spider-Man meme uh, that he posts where <laughs> guy ignorant of the context pointing at guy ignorant of the context? I, uh, yeah, I, I would... I would have to assume that, and this is part of the issue, it's a very silly issue that LeBron has, but he's an impulsive social media user. He's impulsive. He's had this issue before where he not only just posts stuff that might be mockable or you can criticize it, but is just wrong on its merits. Like the Ohio police officer who uh, had to do a justified shooting, a shooting that everybody agreed was justified by the video evidence. But LeBron went all in with this kind of mob mentality of get him, I believe was the uh, the tweet. And he had to apologize for it, albeit I think not really directly, um, you know, a little bit shit eatingly, I would say. Uh, so it's, well, it's, not- this kind, it's this kind yeah. of thing, as you said earlier, where he's like participating in a social media pylon where everybody who's saying that is unaware of the full context of the story because the facts haven't all come out, but he just happens to be like the biggest name in that pylon. And so everybody fixates on him making a mistake that literally thousands of others are also making at the same time. Yeah. And he's just part of the general theme of public figures whose esteem is greatly reduced by their use of this app, which is just fascinating in of itself. Why would people why would people use a technology that would harm their reputation? I mean, I think about just far flung personalities like Richard Dawkins, who uh, esteemed scientist, important scientist, and has had a bunch of silly and ridiculous impulsive tweets that completely take the luster off his career. So there's just something about the medium that tricks people uh, into beclowning themselves. And it's one of the reasons why I just don't use it that often. I try to be a running back going out of bounds instead of lowering the shoulder because it does seem to have that potential to it. But it, it might also just speak to a league where nobody's really in control. I mean, this has been a theme. I mean, how how does Adam Silver not have a conversation with him? How is this not something that eventually uh, they discuss that y- you kind of get over your skis in these situations? It's not helpful. And I think with this one, too, it's just, it, I, I have to stress again, I have a visceral response to it. I'm not saying that LeBron's a bad guy or everything that he does is bad, uh, but it's just really not admirable behavior to join these pylons in this way, going at a guy where he has so much less power in his life than LeBron has. You're trying to fire him. You're trying to destroy his career. What do you know about him? What do you know about his family, uh, his mortgage payments uh, to just reflexively try to inflict that kind of uh, retributive cruelty um, and I, I understand that it's a situation where there is, you know, perhaps a, a racial element in the room and that maybe informs, uh, the grievance, but it just seems like it's, it's really, uh, shitty behavior and not in the fun Michael Jordan competitive instinct way. Yeah, I think that, um, he would benefit from having like an editor, like somebody like hire somebody from the players tribune who writes people's Mm. like stories well for them. And 
just have him or her on call and run tweets by them just because he is in a world where there's no upside for him from a tweet. Like any tweet that he sends isn't going to like enhance his basketball legacy. The, the Jewish legacy, money, frankly, Jewish in any way, Instagram post didn't help him in some way. <laughs> the, well, the, the Spider-Man Instagram post helped me because it gave me <laughs> a lot of clicks on New Year's Eve on a slow news day. And so I appreciated that one. But, um, you, you don't you don't think that, that going to uh, the most Hispanic city in America and doing Taco Tuesday, I, 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 that 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 helped them in any capacity? I mean, I mean, it is kind of amazing. I will say the the interesting subplot of it is how much of it, how much at what point does the media have to go? Okay, this is something we're going to talk about with the sort of uh, outrage that we reserve for Aaron Rodgers, and we'll get to it because his situation has some similarities to this one. I mean, it is kind of amazing how many of these have piled up. Yeah, and it's weird because when he says things that they agree with, he gets lauded for it. So it's like almost an inverse of what we're talking about, how he only has downside from sending tweets. He, like, with, with like, specific, like, sex of the prestige media he only has upside with his commentary and so it's like a very like bizarre kind of like if you can imagine four quadrants on a line graph and like one is negative negative one is positive positive um and we're just like living in like two americas in this um <laughs> line graph yeah yeah so we've got a caller we got a caller. Are we okay? JF, one of our favorites out of Canada. Let's make him the next caller. JF, JF, how you yeah, doing? Yeah, what's up, guys? So Ryan kind of like, you know, uh, took the words out of my mouth, right? Because he really waded into this uh, kind of social media activism uh, when he tweeted like, you bum to um, President Trump and got, you know, amazing praise from the media for doing it, right? Like it was a brave yeah. act. So I think that enticed him to just really lean into it. And I think you noted yesterday too, that uh, Pete needed to differentiate himself after the realizing he wouldn't catch Jordan on titles or on, on court legacy stuff. So he had to do it uh, outside of basketball. And this is when he really kind of amped up his, uh, you know, activism presence and persona uh and i think it was really you know the one vulnerability you know quote unquote during the mj doc was you know him admitting to saying or the omission of him saying republicans buy sneakers too and you know he didn't contribute to that um uh, Democrat in North Carolina, the, and so, the, the gant gant versus helms that election yeah yeah which and, and, and so that was, yeah that was an opportunity for LeBron to step in and say, you know, I'm going to be this like Muhammad Ali type figure and, you know, speak about all these injustices, but he just ends up looking ridiculous because he's so un uneducated on these things. And he's very, like you said, reflexive, um, you know, quick to comment rather than uh, actually analyzing the situation and, you know, understanding what's actually uh, the situation is. Yeah. I, I'm reminded of, uh, I had a friend who worked on that campaign as a young staffer on the Gantt campaign. And uh, I'm stealing this story, but it, it, it's just, I, I like it. Uh, and it, it's come up 
a bunch and I've thought about it ever since I heard it. Um, so they were trying to win. Uh, they were, for people who don't know, uh, Harvey Gantt. Uh, it was North Carolina Senate race. Uh, Gantt, uh, the Democrat, black man, Helms, Republican, uh, racist reputation, uh, the incumbent. And they kept having these young college liberals do things that were not helpful, whether it was vandalizing this, whether it was staging a protest there. I, I can't remember the specifics, but my friend was a young staffer and he was so confused. Why are these young radical like they're not helping us? Like, why? Why are they doing this? This doesn't make sense. And his boss, I'll just do the accent. His boss was an old uh, Chicago Democrat. And his boss said, these guys, they don't want they don't want Harvey to win. They wouldn't know what to do if Harvey fucking won. They want Gant to lose. And that that's something that just made an impression on my friend. And he remembered from there on out. And so in the context of LeBron, I wonder, okay, does he want, does he even want Gantt to win? You know, the metaphorical Gantt. Like, does he actually want some sort of vision to happen? Does he actually want some sort of political victory? Does he actually want popular sentiment to go in a certain direction? Or is he just angry and he's flailing and he's chasing attention? That's, that's what I'm reminded of. Um, one, one thing where I weigh in, his activism didn't begin with calling Trump a bum. It actually began when the Miami Heat wore the protest, wore the oh, yeah. in solidarity with Trayvon Martin. And if you can like remember this time, it was like a totally different world. Um, and so I, I, this is like going deep into the media nerdy stuff, but, um, when like Jason Whitlock was founding the undefeated. So between when he got hired at ESPN and when these dead spin hit pieces by Greg Howard came out, he, he, one of like the things in his like manifesto for undefeated was to have a LeBron beat writer who portrays him as the next Muhammad Ali and Greg mm -hmm. Howard and Deadspin mocked him like mercilessly in that story for that. It's like very like kind of funny um, anecdote about like role reversals when you think about all of those like specific characters and how oh, yeah. their mindsets have changed over the past like eight years. Yeah, yeah. I mean that, that's fascinating. Uh, JF, do you have a, a thought to attach on? I know you always got him. Yes, yes. I'm, uh, I have a lot to say. And I actually wanted to comment on something that was said last week, too, with Ben Thompson, who came on about the cable subs. Mm. Uh, you know, he said it was kind of stabilizing, uh, you know, pre-COVID. I don't see that happening because it's really dying on two fronts. One is that just the one they can't defend is that young people aren't watching and they're never going to watch. It's really irrelevant to people under 30. And in 10 years, that's, that demographic is keep expanding. It's going to be people under 40. In 20 years, it's people under 50. So this segment is huge, right? So they're going to lose the subs. As Ryan's mentioned, you know, 72 million people are paying for ESPN. You, it's $12 a month. Then the cable companies have to get their margin. So it's really maybe... Uh, you know, no, the cable companies pay the ten dollars. That's the wholesale rate. But but what I mean is they have to get their margin to the customer, right? So if if ESPN is charging twelve to the cable company, you know it's getting passed through to the consumer at fifteen dollars per subscription, right? Because they're not giving it away to the consumer at cost. They have to get their middleman. Well, it might, we don't know how their bundle works. It might be like a loss leader for them. We have no mm -hmm. idea. 
but uh, regardless, maybe it's like $150 to $200 a month, uh, you know, or not a year rather, uh, per bundler that's keeping ESPN and all these valuations uh, afloat. But it's a losing strategy because Ben was right that saying that they're making it up by charging a higher carrier fee year over year. But, you know, the price sense of consumer is going to get pushed out, you know, when it's at that uh, rate, when it's 200. And uh, I'm just curious to what you guys think. Out of the 75 million uh, who are paying for ESPN, how many are actually watching, you think? How many are just... Uh, you know, basically, well, we funding. get that answer with the college football national title games and their mm. NFL playoff games, where they can get probably a max of like 25 million viewers at once. I would say at this point, probably like almost two thirds of the remaining cable bundle subscribers watch ESPN for at least like something, yeah. And I would say, even like you said. Uh, you know, it's probably the high watermark is that 25 million, but how many actually value it at $200 a month or 200 a year, rather, you know, 150 a year, you know, that's a different question too. I think, you know, eventually uh, people just move off it because it's, it's really weighing down their cable bill. Um, mm. And one, one just, you know, idle observation here. I watched a bit of the Warriors game, uh, you know, number one draw in the NBA, ton of empty seats in this New Orleans uh uh, arena lower bowl right you could just yeah you know, they've amazing. got the yeah Incredible. they've got the worst situation yeah and i just want to make uh just one question to both of you you know <laughs> the nba's viability in the south right it's crossing with some cultural issues that uh the nba is creating for themselves right by basically alienating you know one group of people in america but uh you know is it viable even before that and i definitely don't see it you know after that because even like the red hot Memphis Grizzlies, like their tickets are like nothing, right? It's like that's true. Yeah, it's like two dollars well, to go to a game. The, the NBA had one spark in the South, and that was the Hornets in the 1990s. Um, they were really popular. They connected. Uh, there's an All Star game, I think, in the early 90s, uh, where you can see Bob Costas do one of those NBC intros, and all they can talk about is how charged up people are about the hornets uh they screwed up that situation i think but george shin was the owner i believe uh did a really bad job and eventually they left and then they come back and the magic i say magic people are gonna think i'm talking about the tea and the magic the spark just isn't there the same way maybe Lamelo can return it i don't know um yeah that's been that's been the issue for the nba they've never really cracked the south and uh, the people come come up with the obvious reasons for why they've had issues there. Um, you know, there are some <laughs> there are some that that come to mind, but beyond that, I I don't know I don't know what it is because it's it's rather fascinating. I when I was at ESPN, they did all these surveys with fans and fans of Southern teams, white fans and and black fans are fans of the NBA but not the Hawks, right? Like way more likely to be a fan of another team rather than the Hawks, to cite one example. So uh, I don't know if they've just missed their window and they're never going to really be able to do it. But JF is is noticing something that I think has been under-discussed, which is that consistently in terms of local ratings, uh, in terms of attendance, 
the South has lagged for the NBA and they just haven't been able to do it. Unless you count Oklahoma City as part of the South. I don't know if we technically do. It's sort of in the the Plains-ish region. I, I think it resonates we, in Memphis. I, 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 I would say confidently that it resonates there, even if like it doesn't cost a lot to get into the upper bowl for one of these like regular season oh, games. Oh, they've got a great atmosphere. I love going to FedEx. The Grizzlies fans are a great crowd, but in terms of viewership, in terms of attendance, no. I mean, if we consider Texas the South, I guess Texas is technically the South, um then the it's NBA, its own country yeah the nba has done pretty well there but in the deep south yes the nba has struggled although MLB the worst- struggled too by the way like i mean they've got the braves but the braves like stretch so much real estate across the south yeah 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 the braves are it's that goddamn superstation uh that bullied the other teams in the region perhaps out of it but yeah, um, although the worst situation in basketball right now might be the Detroit Pistons. That's a mausoleum when you watch those games. Uh, there is nobody, nobody there. And they're run by a power agent that uh, I don't think is doing a good job and might even be uh, trading favors. But that's perhaps a future House of Strauss post for me, I would think. Um, CC, very intrigued. All right, let's do another <laughs> caller. Yeah, yeah. Let's do another caller. Eventually, we'll get to Rogers. Maybe we will. Jesse, 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 Jesse. Are you there, sir? Hey, guys. How's it going? Hey. I uh, wanted to talk about John Oren's prediction from earlier this week, or was it last week? Whenever it was. Um, oh, we got that's a, okay. We got some serious sports TV nerdery. We're bringing up John, the great John Oren. But you were saying, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, he, he he talked about how he thinks in twenty twenty four. Apple's going to buy ESPN. And uh, I guess I just wanted to know from you guys, like, for example, even in in the NBA's contract, aren't there, like, uh, I guess, uh, provisions where they would want games broadcasted on broadcast TV? I think if they buy ESPN, they probably buy ABC, too. I don't think that they it's that useful for them to buy it without the... um, broadcast network but that's a good question you know they might even buy all of disney like bob Iger was like badly trying to do that to like put his stamp on his tenure and he thinks like he thought that it would have gotten done if steve jobs hadn't died and so maybe like maybe they just absorb all of that um, yeah and that's part of their purchase cool. of espn but i can't fathom that um disney would even want to keep abc without having the live sports component to it. Yeah. I'm not smart enough to figure out how it would shake out. I just know that Apple might be the most powerful country, eh, country, most powerful company on earth right now. Uh, Despite jobs having died, it just seems like he's built something that perpetually, uh, perpetually wins. What it means as far as the NBA's arrangement with Microsoft, man, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's a, it's a great question, and, and we will uh, monitor the situation. Uh, Vance, next caller. Vance, 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 Vance. Are you there? Uh, yes, I am. How are you doing, gentlemen? <laughs> doing well, man. How are you yeah. doing? Yeah, well, I, I see your point about me. I'm, I'm, I lived a lot of years in Memphis, and I can assure you, like, definitely there's a big Memphis contingent, Love, obviously. You know, yep. Memphis is the great grind days. I do think also, I guess the under, I, I think you probably understand, I think Ryan understands it, that we have to realize a lot of old money 
they're still probably tied in more college sports. Like, yeah, you see a big contrast between a Memphis Grizzly crowd and a Memphis Tiger crowd. Mm. And you can make your mind about to, you know, why. I mean, it's kind of obvious, but I won't touch it. Yeah. But I, I did want to say this. Um, I hear, I'm, I've been hearing what you're saying about the Warriors making all this money and them being upset about the revenue sharing. I'm pretty sure there was a time, I guess, like 20 years ago that they were the kind of team that was needing revenue sharing. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I think so. It's It's been such a just spectacular rise for them uh, out of nowhere becoming this market dominant team becoming this brand because yeah they were the wobegon franchise for a couple decades there now what, what what do you think that was was it just because the poor ownership basically led a behemoth market you know didn't happen to a market that was as huge as the bay area and so that kind of hurt them or i mean did it just you know grow naturally or I think it was a perfect storm. It was the confluence of them and also the region. And my, at least one of those things has, has really fallen off. But when I grew up, uh, the Bay Area was just another American city area on the same level of a Boston or a Seattle. And what ended up happening, I think, after 2010, uh, the social media boom really, really propelled the Bay Area region in San Francisco to a place where it was on competitive footing with New York and LA, um, not just financially, but also culturally. Uh, And that had not been the case before. And this was happening concurrently with the Warriors taking off like a rocket ship, Uh, Steph Curry becoming the most popular player, uh, and the Warriors uh, just having this brand of basketball unlike anybody had ever seen. So I think the confluence of the rise of the region and the rise of the team turned them into this big market power uh, that hadn't existed previously. And so it it was an unusual circumstance. And I don't know if the Bay area is maybe um, shrinking from that position or falling off of its pedestal, but at least the Warriors seem to still be going strong, but that's, that's at least how I see it having happened. I hate you completely. I guess also, how big is it from going from Oakland to San Francisco for the Warriors? I don't think it really impacts um, how the public necessarily sees them. I, I mean, it was kind of maybe it will work out and it will be the right financial move for them in the future. But in the short term, it's screwed them, frankly, because they spent all this private money. They spent a billion to build the arena. The idea is they're going to print money. It was a financially obvious decision to do. But who could have predicted the fucking pandemic, right? I mean, who could have seen that coming? I, What's the I, thing? God laughs at a plan? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. If you want to make God laugh, you tell him your plans. Because they go from a situation of having just a little meager rent in Oakland at Oracle. Um, and that's fine and that's manageable to suddenly having all these debts poured into the arena and then you pull the handbrake on the NBA season and then you can't have concerts. And not only that, this whole pandemic has stoked a work from home revolution that has impacted San Francisco most of all. Now, what's the model for getting people in the doors at Chase Center? Well, it's that people in San Francisco who cannot park there, there are no parking garages. There are some parking garages for the Giants, not so much with the Warriors. It's that they get off of work and they go into the arena. That's getting taken off the table. So it's going to be extremely difficult if these trends hold up. 
and Steph Curry gets older, uh, for that to be <laughs> to be uh, a wonderful situation. So I don't know how it's all going to play out, but it just goes to show you that sometimes you can make a smart business move and you just don't have any control over the circumstances. All right, I hear you completely. I was just thinking when you talk about um, people showing, I, I think, honestly, the perfect setup when it comes to arena might be Boston TD Garden. Because don't the mm. trains run into that arena? Yeah. Yeah, I, I believe so. Although I don't think I've ever taken the train there when I was on the road. Uh, I mostly, it, it's so sad and so unrelatable, but most of my memories about NBA arenas are just the media meal. Uh, that's it's the main thing that my mind fixates on. All right. I but, do, well, before uh, I go, I got to ask yeah. top five, top five of media meals. In, oh, in week. oh, I love this question. I thought you were going to say NBA cities that I like to visit too. Uh, that I like to visit. I also like that as well, but media meals. Um, the number one media meal, um, hmm, that's a great question. I think the Rockets, uh, Tilman Fertitta cared a lot because he's a restaurateur. So they've got a ton of charcuterie and they've got all these bells and whistles. And so I think that they are the number one media meal. Portland is great. Some that they do afterwards just to show how Portlandy they are. Uh, you get to drink IPAs and wine and charcuterie yet again and a cheese plate uh, if you're a writer after the game. So that's, that's shout out nice. Breakside IPA. My along like an old friend of mine is like the founder of that brewery. Sorry, they, they got a lot of good ones. You got to get those plugs in. Staples Center, fantastic. They've got ice cream. Uh, th- again, I don't know what the appeal of telling you guys about this. What I like about the Staples Center media meal is sometimes celebrities just show up and then so, you know rihanna or somebody will plop down at your table and be eating popcorn and it's so that's, Wait, have that's you actually cool. shared a table with rihanna in the media no room? well i mentioned rihanna because she's at those games but jay-z uh was in the room he wasn't at my table but that kind of thing will happen billy crystal did plop down at my table though so there was a billy crystal sighting did he uh, know who you were I did not. I did not engage him in conversation. I I do this thing, or I did this thing. If I met celebrities, um, I wouldn't admit to knowing who they were. I once I once took um, James and Dave Franco on a tour of uh, Oracle Arena after a game, um, and I just never admitted that I knew who they were. I, I a friend of mine wanted me to get them to meet the players and know where to go and take them to the locker room area and just be a tour guide. And I figured, you know, why the hell not? And so I just kept asking, Oh, you went to, you know, Palo Alto, you're from Palo Alto. Oh, that's nice. Da, 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 da. It feels like that's the least awkward thing to do with a famous person is to just ask them questions and pretend you don't know who they are. So um, anyway, I, I don't even know. Oh, uh, the other media meals, I, they're not even worth mentioning, perhaps. Uh, I'm probably forgetting a few. I just know Minnesota. Minnesota is probably the worst. That's the main takeaway. Uh, the, the Minnesota media meal, completely awful. Uh, reflective. Well, maybe A-Rod will fix all that. I'm, I'm sure it will be top of his agenda. Um, I don't even know how I got on all this. What's going to happen first? They move to Vegas or he fixes their media meals. <laughs> you know what? You joke, but it's the type of thing that new ownership does fix sometimes because it's where you congregate, um, you know, all the people, the announcers, everybody before a game. And there is some what the fuck is this that happens. And the Warriors media meal 
used to be completely inedible. I once found a rat turd in mine uh, pre-ownership change. Whoa. So, yeah, just leave, let the, okay. One take, uh, we got to get a Rogers take out there because we said we'd mention it, and then there's Joe on the line and whoever else wants oh, to Oh, hang up, I appreciate uh, it once again, Ethan. Sure thing, Vance. Thanks, Vance. Uh, appreciate um, so Aaron Rodgers, similar situation with LeBron, going at a media member who said on a radio show that he didn't want to vote for Rodgers. He wasn't going to vote for Rodgers because for MVP uh, because of off-the-field reasons. Uh, Ryan, what's your take? Uh, so this kind of happens all the time with like Hall of Fame votes. Like, I mean, Kurt Schilling is not in the Hall of Fame, not because of his like performance on the field doesn't measure up to like the standards of the players in that museum, which it does, but because he's like really angered the like liberal sports media establishment by saying that like Hillary Clinton belongs under a jail and having like grotesque memes of transsexual people. And so mm. like he, he's been kept out of the hall because of that. But um like that this happens all the time where like sports writers who have like the power of like MVP votes or Hall of Fame hold it against the players. But what is different about this was that this guy, Hub Arkush, who's like an old crusty like Chicago based writer, said it out loud. Um like I I can't name one of the Hall of Fame voters who hasn't like voted for Schilling because even though that mm. is like even though like one in three Hall of Fame voters isn't voting for him, they know that that's like a opinion that's unpopular with at least half and maybe more of like the sports fan population. I think it's kind of unethical, frankly, uh, for that to inform your vote. Maybe they have a rule for why it should, but it just seems. It just seems absurd to me, but I'm not a big baseball head. I, I should add that Rogers went pretty hard at the writer. I think he <laughs> called him a bum, uh, which is why I'm relating it to the LeBron thing, because we've got these big stars lashing out at relatively powerless uh, media figures. It seemed like it was, a, I, I would say, a little strong there from Rogers, uh, is what I would say. Um, and also, it seemed like Rogers was jumping to conclusions a bit, because vaccination did not appear to be prominent in the writer's argument against Rogers. Yeah. I think the writer's argument was more about Rogers kind of holding the organization um, hostage over last summer. And by extension, like I am a Packers fan, as I said, when I was on last week and it was really torture because it's not just like the anxiety of, um, you either have a quarterback who's like a generational talent who's going to be who you're rooting for this year, or you're going to have somebody who's a complete unknown and probably isn't ready to start um, and take the helm yet in Jordan Love. And so it's not only that, it's like the fact that like Colin Cowherd and Skip Bayless and Mike Greenberg and Stephen A. Smith are talking about it every single day and like making like web like dioramas of like how mm. Rodgers is going to play for the Broncos or the Steelers or the Browns or on and on down the line just like making up that the Packers would trade him when he still has two years left on his deal and they don't have to and so like what when a player like holds the team hostage like that and becomes you know like what Anthony Davis did with New Orleans it's not as bad because 
there aren't as many Pelicans fans as we've been like talking about. But you like can't watch sports TV while one of your like favorite players is the subject of this like endless speculation about where he might play next. Yeah. And I wonder if I'm psychoanalyzing, if I'm putting Rogers on the therapist chair. He wants it to be uh, the vaccination. He wants it to be that sort of martyrdom. And he might be offended that somebody's bringing up perhaps something that's more pertinent to, I don't know, his, uh, his prickliness within the organization. I'm just venturing a guess. I'm just wondering. I think that they're going to vote for him for MVP. I don't think they're going to pull a shilling. Uh, is that Well, your yeah, especially now because they saw what happens if you say, like, he, the, um, he, the out that he could have given the voters is, even though we've seen, like, I think, honestly, hundreds of players across NBA, NFL, et cetera, miss games due to COVID, whether they're vaccinated or not. Um, he, he would have given the voters an out if they, the Packers had not earned the top seed in the NFC in the first round by because they lost that game to the chiefs where Jordan love started at that point, then maybe they would have been able to give it to Brady, even if the Cowboys had been the one seed, but, um, or like even Dak Prescott could have stuck in at that point. But once the Packers were the one seed, I don't think any of these voters, having seen what happened to like poor Hub Arkush. By the way, Arkush issued an apology for it. This was the funniest part of the story. He was not sorry for his opinion. He was sorry because the voters aren't supposed to reveal who they voted for until the award mm-hmm. is revealed. And so he apologized for like violating the sanctity of like the AP procedures <laughs> rather than holding an opinion that was like probably wrong. Yeah, it's such a media media on media take. I also don't know what the politics are of NFL uh, NFL media members. I mean, that's a complete. I could tell you what it is for NBA media members, but NFL NFL, I'm I'm not so I'm not so sure. And uh, you know, additionally, I'm going to write something for tomorrow on the emerging COVID situation because it does seem like we're in a new chapter, and not everybody in sports media media writ large has really uh, caught up and adjusted their priors for it. So, Joe, let's get Joe on. Get Joe on the horn here. Make Joe the next caller. Joe, how are you doing? Good, good. I think I managed to figure out how to unmute myself successfully. So, Are you the you guy know. from the Fosters commercials? Oh, come on now. Oh, <laughs> come sorry, on I don't now. Ryan. It's a, it's a late now, night. Now, Ryan, late... you've just you've just done a LeBron James here. You've actually just wandered in to a classic <laughs> trap because you have assumed that I'm in fact Australian. Yes, yes, and I know that Joe is a New Zealander. I, oh, I no. am aware. Oh, no. I have had a prior conversation. Joe might even be a House of Strauss subscriber. Am I correct, Joe? You, you, you'd be correct. You'd be correct, Ethan. I apologize. Um, <laughs> I know that you guys don't like to be um, conflated with each other. My sincere <laughs> condolences. My I mean, sincere apologies. He, he says apologies, but it's one of those situations like uh, in, a, in the United States when uh, two colleges hate each other and from afar, you don't really know the difference. And you're like, yeah, 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 yeah sure, sure, sure. <laughs> State versus you. That's how we feel about it as dumb Americans. Sorry, yeah, Joe, I mean, what's I- your question? Oh, well, first, first a quick thing on LeBron James. Um, I 
am just a hater. So I'm perfectly happy for him to make any stumble in whatever form. Um, so, so you know, like it doesn't doesn't worry too much how I get it. I just like to see him knocked down from his pedestal. But that's not my question. Uh, my question is, um, I want to just thinking about the the future of purchases of sports rights going forward. I want to uh, tell you guys what's happened down here and just see how you might analogize it. See, just just road test it. Just put it on your radar. So, um, rugby is the big game down here. And the last rights deal involved um, the New Zealand Rugby Union taking a 5% stake in our only pay TV. Um, We don't really have cable, as you would know, but, like, it's basically the equivalent. They took 5% stake in in the pay TV provider in exchange for, like, in lieu, basically in lieu of cash, I suppose. And I just sort of thought, with it seems that both the cable companies and the sports leagues have this problem of a declining monoculture and I wonder mm. if you thought. I wonder if you thought that um, you know there might be potential for a deal along those lines. And I wonder which league might be the most aggressive about looking. You know, trying to trying to get something like that. I like that phrase, declining monoculture. Ryan, what's your thought on what he's saying? Um, I don't see it because the leagues are trying to get out of their own networks. Like NFL is trying to sell their stake in NFL network to a different media rights holder. NBA didn't want to run NBA TV. And so they hired Turner to do it. And as an aside, Turner, it's not done very well because the production is like, public access and nobody even big nba fans ever goes to that network other than for a game so i don't know what the point is but um i i don't see that happening if it um although you know where it has happened was with the the conference networks in college sports big 10 sec acc and to disastrous effect, the Pac-12. Um, yeah. They entered, well, the SEC, Big Ten, and ACC entered in joint ventures, um, Big Ten with Fox, ACC, and SEC with Disney and ESPN to um, take ownership rights in their networks. So I guess it already happened there, but I don't see, I might be wrong, but my sense is that it's not going to happen with NBA, MLB, or NFL. Now, that makes some some sense what you're saying. I, I'd be more thinking the NBA taking a stake in Disney, um, mm. you know, which uh, which is sort of allows them to unhitch themselves ever so slightly from, you know, their core product. That's funny because um, there are these rumors that Disney is trying to unhitch itself from ESPN. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I'm not sure how that. Yeah, I'm not sure how that's going to all I, – I, I'm not sure how that's going to all work out, but that's very intriguing, and um, it might be hard. It's for, for, a, for somebody like myself, I just want it to be a strict number whenever they sign the new deal, but it's probably going to be something more opaque given what you're saying and giving, given the, uh, the changing landscape. Um, it will be for more money, though, as we have, uh, as we have discussed. Uh, Ryan, do you have uh, additional thoughts on that? I don't, but I do want to get a parting shot in on what my prediction for Rachel Nichols' next job is. Oh, yes. What a great thing. What a great thing to end on. Uh, and we'll, we'll even keep Joe on. I don't know. Joe, do you have a, is there Rachel Nichols in New Zealand? Does she exist? Is she a thing? 
Uh, well, I know who she is because uh, I'm an NBA junkie, but um, I don't think we have an analogue mm. uh, down here, and I don't think we certainly don't have a we certainly don't have an analogous sort of breach of privacy fueled scandal resulting in uh, in her getting fired. Um, so um, no, I can't I can't offer you much of an antipodean perspective on that one. Okay. Well, I was just making sure. I was just making sure that uh, that New Zealanders who follow the NBA know of Nichols. Is I'm not sure how the distribution goes down there and how much ESPN finds its way down there. But the buyout was finalized today. This is a weird one, Ryan, because I do theory- want to give credit to my colleague Andrew Marchand for yes. breaking that news, as he breaks a vast majority of the sports media news. Um, yes. But yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, 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 no. I want to give a shout out to him too, because he's been doing great work for years. And I saw him briefly in the last call in and I was hoping he'd do a question. And so maybe we got to get him back on and we'll get the both of you on. But um, yeah, it's a weird one because in theory, I could, I could have asked questions and figured this out um, because obviously there are a lot of mutuals uh, between Rachel and myself, but I have not. I'm going in blind, Ryan. So I know as, as much or as little as, as anybody else. Yeah, same with me. This is um, reckless speculation. It is not anything that's informed. Although, you've been in a situation where ESPN let you go. And you did not take a buyout. You waited until the end of the deal. The only reason why somebody would take a buyout, and the well, ESPN would not give somebody a buyout unless that person is taking at least a little bit less money than he or she is owed. And nobody would take less money than he or she is owed if he or she does not have something pretty close to lined up. Correct? That's fair logic? Yes. Um, So my guess, just if I had to bet on what the first thing, I think that she will have, not one job, but several jobs. She'll piece things together. And I think the first thing that she will do is an over-the-top like streaming show slash podcast for LeBron James's uninterrupted network. That's my huh. prediction. I feel if I'm managing her career, I, I think I, I try to think simply. I try to just comparative advantage. What do you do best? How do we make use of it? Um, I do some podcasting, but I try to keep in mind that the main thing I do to make a living is writing and that that needs to be most prominent. Um, and with her, I think she's a great interviewer and I don't know if the jump really worked completely as a concept as a show. So I would just be looking to try to funnel her towards some sort of role where maybe she can be sports Barbara Walters or whatever the analog would be. Now, I think to this show on HBO that I, I've heard of that has Bob Costas and Bomani Jones, could there be a, a role for Rachel there? I don't know. But something like that would be ideal. If you were doing something prestigious where you get to do the big interview and that's maybe all you've got to do and you can just focus on having, on having that. And a podcast might be the right format for it. But that's that's sort of my my thought. I don't know necessarily if there's a TV show uh, to uh, to be the sole person behind and all that comes with it out there that will really work. Um, yeah, I that's I think that she does. I think that she does Internet 
as opposed to TV first, just because it requires so much less infrastructure. All she needs to do internet is like an iPhone, a light stand and a phone holder. Mm, Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's tough after ESPN for somebody who has risen uh, to the top like that. But but you do like an interview show on, on like uninterrupted and then have, you know, like the highlight videos come out and like spread from there. Um, like, you know, like Beatle does basically, basically I see her doing a little bit similar to what Beatle does for the athletic for uninterrupted. I, but, I you know, I, you know, I would listen to is if, if they co-hosted a podcast, um, yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't, bet, you know, <laughs> I wouldn't bet on that. Yeah. Um, yeah. That will never, that will never happen. Uh, but I would listen to it if it did happen, just like a lot of things I'd listen to. I would listen to a podcast where, uh, Clay Travis and Bomani Jones, uh, debated once a week. Clay but would that, do that. Yeah. Clay, <laughs> but, would, Clay would interact with anybody. Um, <laughs> not anybody would interact with him. That, 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 that's probably so, but that's definitely, uh, I would listen to that, but it is not, it is not to be, or so it seems, uh, I guess one final thought on this. It is funny. I, there were people trying to predict where I would go after the athletic and I think nobody really got it right. So, um, if you got it right with Rachel, that's, that's impressive. It's a, it's a good guess. Do I count as having gotten it right when you told me that that's what you were doing before you had announced that you left? <laughs> well, did you tell me that you thought it was where I was going? I mean, it's getting so confusing. No, you said I'm leaving the athletic for Substack. And then other people, when you said you're leaving the athletic, they're like, where is he going? And I'm like, oh, he's going to Substack. I got that one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, perhaps, uh, <laughs> per, perhaps it's funny though, because they tell you with Substack not to tell anybody, uh, because it needs to pop and you need some sort of organic, uh, the other media people are going, Whoa, uh, like you don't want that reaction where they say, Oh, I've been waiting for this announcement. So they specifically tell you to keep that estate secret, to make it a surprise, so I had friends and colleagues who were, they all assumed I was joining um, the Metal Arc with uh, Levitard and Amin Elhassan and Tom Haberstroh because I have friends there. I think that was the running assumption of what I would do, even though, uh, you know, that, that wasn't, I mean, I had a specific idea of what I wanted to do. So it's not like, it's not like I was doing a recruiting tour or, or anything like that. I, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And even on a day like today, where I look at what would have been my stock and see it uh, <laughs> thrown into the fire, I still believe that I made the right decision. Are you allowed to say how much money you gave up? I can say how much I gave up by weaving Outkick before it sold. I well, I I probably would be, but I just don't know. You know what I mean? I don't know what the valuation per share is yet. I so, I gave up two hundred grand. Wow! Why'd you do that? Well, first of all, I didn't know that it was going to sell two months after I left. Um, Like, I didn't have stock. What I had was like an agreement for if the site sells, you get that much as like a flat bonus. Um, Mm. But if, if you were like, I, it was weird. I just, so it was like a combination of two things mainly, and then a few other things that are not as big, but, um, 
when I was like the first person, I was like the second employee at Outkick after Clay. I, he had other employees before I went there, but I was the second person to join the site full time. And so he hired me, Bobby Burak, and Joe Kinsey. And it was like the three of us for a while. And then like just doing basically all of the stories on the site. And so from like, I'd say mid-August through mid-January, I didn't have a single day off, weekend, holiday, anything. And it wasn't only that. It was like if Charles Barkley said something like about how people saying to fund the police are stupid, it's like Clay would send a text to the three of us and one of us would have to do it. And so between, it was like, it wasn't like I was working from 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. Um, every single day for from August to January, but I was plausibly on call for any type of like story that met you, his you, threshold you, you, you for newsworthiness that didn't necessarily yeah. meet mine. You were in a state of miserable hypervigilance is what that sounds like. Um, well, yeah, if we yeah. got the text, it was like, you had to do it. Like, you know, I, I actually said, the one time I said no was like Tom Rinaldi leaving ESPN for Fox. I was like, I'll get it in the morning. And he had Bobby do it. But um, like, it, Clay was like a supportive boss. And if if I had known that my pay was like effectively two to three X what my base was, it might have like changed... Um, how much I thought being <laughs> always on call was worth it. Yeah. Because I knew that it could sell, but it's like, I didn't know that it was imminent. Um, and then the other thing was he, he partnered with these people at Savage Ventures. And I want to make it clear from a non-disparagement clause perspective that I'm not disparaging them. But um, my direct manager between Clay and I was not somebody who... I ultimately had a productive working relationship with. And mm. some of that is me. Some of that was him. Um, but I'm somebody who doesn't work well for um, bosses that I don't enjoy working for. I think that's all of us. Um, and yeah, I, I, I'm still trying to figure out exactly, but it almost doesn't matter. I'm in terms of salary making more money than I've ever made before. And it feels so much better because it's my, my site. So, um, and so I'm, I'm happy, but there is this feeling of, Oh, could I have negotiated? Could I, I needed to get out though. I, I was burnt out. Um, I was slipping. I wasn't as good anymore at what I was doing. And this was the thing that I ultimately needed to do. So there are no regrets. And I am happy for my friends and colleagues, whatever their payment's going to be. But there is that sense of, Ooh, yeah, you know, maybe I could have, maybe I could have negotiated that. Maybe I could have done this. Maybe I could have done that. Ultimately, who cares? I guess one, one, Final question. I, I don't think I've asked you what happened between Clay, Clay and Jason Whitlock, the Clay, Travis, so, Jason Whitlock alliance that was grand opening, grand closing. I think whatever it was is, is, is going to be interesting. Well, yeah, Whitlock actually um, gave interviews about this. So um, Sam Savage is the founder of Savage Ventures. Um, 
Sam was a part of the team that um, sold 24-7 to CVS. And then he was uh, part of the team that founded popculture.com and comicbook.com, which also sold to CBS. So he was the part of two highly successful exits, although not the principal of those. There is a guy named Shannon Terry who has since founded the the college sites on 3.com, who, mm. who I think spearheaded both of them. Um, and so there was like, I guess... Um, what, as Whitlock told it, Sam had agreed to put half a million dollars of equity into Outkick and Savage Ventures, which included Sam, um, the, the guy who was my direct manager and like a number of other kind of like technical staffers and like, you know, people who handle merchandise and like other stuff behind the scenes at Outkick, like, but like Savage Ventures was getting paid, according to Whitlock, $40,000 a month from Outkick. And Whitlock didn't think that the work that they were doing editorially was good. Um, mm. What I was like kind of brought in on the assumption of was that I was going to be kind of like a Substack writer on Outkick. What Clay said was, you're going to be doing stuff that's smart, original, funny. We're not going to be chasing clicks. Like, that's a stupid business model. Everybody's chasing the same clicks. And then when he partnered with Savage Ventures, they had me doing churn. So it was like, not only was I like working seven days a week and always on call for what Clay wanted. They wanted me doing like eight stories a day. Now I'm doing yeah. like eight stories a day at the post, but I have weekends off and I don't have to work at night. And so it's a trade-off that I went into with like open eyes and was accepting with, but I wasn't thrilled about having to do the churn. And I don't think Whitlock was thrilled with like because there's like an inherent trade-off between churn and quality as a writer. And so if yeah. you're doing eight stories a day, a vast majority of them are not going to be original and like well fleshed out. It's just like, there's only so much time in a day for you to like think and philosophize as, and as you know, as somebody who produces like, I'd say two or three really deep thought stories a week. And so Whitlock, I think, probably was under the same assumption that I was, that OutKick was going to be a place where you really fleshed out your thoughts and everything that you published is, like, something really unique and original. And so it was, like, a combination of he didn't think that the site that he bought into or, like, he came in as, like, an equity partner in sweat equity. He didn't think it was, like, very good. And... um as he tells it, Savage reneged on the promise to invest half a million dollars into the business while still extracting $40,000 a month out of it. Now, from Sam's perspective, um, Outkick did a deal. I don't know how 
like everybody's somehow still listening to this, so I guess it must be interesting at least to them. <laughs> I was um, about nobody- to say I, I set you up for the worst thing because I said whatever happened there has to be interesting, and now there's so many details on equity stakes and well, uh, there are, nobody's left. It's the same people who are here, but uh, they- <laughs> yeah, it's it's, imp- it's impressive. I mean, I, I think what the I, I'm wondering is uh, to get it to the human level is. Was there an explosive blow-up between the two, or was it amicable? There was um, an explosive blow-up because... Now, so for in, in Sam Savage's defense, um, and I've said I didn't like working for the guy who was his, like, lieutenant, but uh, Outkick did, like, a deal, an affiliate deal with FanDuel, like, right before FanDuel went live in Tennessee, and all of a sudden, like, they were just generating bonkers amount of affiliate revenue. So mm-hmm. the need for like the cash that he would have like been providing with that half a million dollars was all of a sudden just totally erased. Yeah. Um, like, because they were just making money hand over fist to the point where like they were such an af- effective affiliate provider. Like, I don't know if people realize this, but you know, everybody's trying to drive you to the sports books with this sign up code. And every time, you drive somebody to a sports book and they deposit money, you get $200. And so, mm. or so it's like 200 to 300, depending on the book and the arrangement. And so think about like how many people like closely follow clay in Tennessee, where he was like a drive time radio host. And then how many Ooh. people he's driving to like sign up when no sports book has ever existed online there before. It's like a total, gold rush and so if even if he's if he's driving five a day that's making over 300 grand a year for the site and so um there was an explosive blow up because whitlock didn't think the site was good and he was just outraged that sam had reneged on an agreement that was like contingent on whitlock joining the site um but I don't like, it's not like I was like sitting there in the room or privy to it. And I don't know Quay's side of the story. I only know what Whitlock has said publicly. Yeah. I mean, it was, I felt like it was destined for that sort of end just because it was two guys who, whose disagreeability I think had been a boon uh, to their career, however you feel about them. Um, But was indivisible from what had made them at the very least monetarily successful and it's difficult for such people uh, to forge a high-profile dynamic and relationship, I would think. But it's been a great show. I want to give a huge thanks to Ryan. Check out his stuff at New York Post. Uh, you are a font of wisdom when it comes <laughs> to sports television, uh, in addition to other cultural topics. I want to give a big thanks to those who have called in and asked questions Tell everybody about it. Tell everybody about House of Strauss. Not just the Substack, which will have a good article, I think, anyway. I'm biased tomorrow. <laughs> uh, but also this particular show. Also, my podcast, The Longer Form Interviews. Take care, everybody. See you next week. All right. Bye, Ethan. Thank you. Of course.